Hi, I'm Miranda Wright with HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com. All right, the first temptation. We're going to start in Genesis 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. So there's really three sins that are listed here. It's the same sins that Jesus was tempted, the lust of the flesh, the, uh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. But the first one, the first one is the one we're kind of pointing at today. The first sin, Satan used the desire for pleasant food to lure Adam into feeding the lust of his flesh, into self-will, into selfishness and to disobedience. I can see I should fall in <laughs> If the devil can cause you to accept a lust for pleasant foods, he doesn't have to go any further than that. It's always the first temptation because it's the one that works the fastest. In Philippians 3.19, it says, talking about sinners, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. Really at its core, this lesson is a lesson on self-control, and it's very interesting because I was talking to Carrie, and she was telling me the lesson that she was getting for her children's church message tonight. She said, I'm teaching the kids on self-control. I knew this message was the one that God had given me. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. She's like, yeah. She's like, I've got some marshmallows and I'm going to put them on a plate in front of the kids and I'm going to tell them you can have one marshmallow now, one small marshmallow at the beginning of the class, but if you wait till the end, till after the lesson, you'll get three big marshmallows. She said it's going to be within reach the whole time. You have to demonstrate self-control. And I was like, that is the Lord. Because a lot of people have been, that I know have been uh, I don't want to say tempted, but tested with opportunity, you know, and, and she, so she's she's teaching these kids young, and it's a good lesson, but it's a lesson that God teaches all of us, and I had to laugh, because Danny has been wanting a utility trailer forever, and ever, and ever, and ever, so this morning, and knowing that Carrie was teaching this lesson tonight, Finally, things come to a head, trouble with the, the lawnmower, all these issues. Okay, we, we got to go ahead and get one. We've been saving up for it. We got it. Okay, Dan, go, go buy your utility trailer. So he goes to the guy that manufactures them in, in Mansoura or whatever. And so he sends me this video. Oh, it's exactly what we want. Look, it's heavy duty. It's strong. It's got the right mechanism, the right latches. All this is perfect. It's the right length. It's the size. And look at the price. It's a great price. Like this is this is it. This is the deal. But the guy says there's a big waiting list for it. So if, if we get this one, it's, I'm going to have to wait for it. So he said, I, I might just go to, to Lowe's and look and see what they got or whatever. Well, I already looked at Lowe's and we had looked online. They're more expensive by a couple hundred dollars. They're way cheaper made. They're not nearly as good. And so I busted out laughing. And he's like, what? I was like, so you're telling me? 
that you can get one that's not so great but okay now, or you can wait and get one that's way better. I was like, that trailer's your marshmallow. <laughs> I didn't bite. I got the card. I bought the money back in the safe. We're good. We're waiting. Okay? Four to six weeks, okay? This, this is, yeah. This is, uh, but uh, I had to laugh. I, yeah, people on the phone, I bust out laughing, and I was like, oh my gosh. And tonight she's teaching the lesson. I'm like, that's your marshmallow. I'm sorry. You can have one small marshmallow now or three big ones later. What do you want? <laughs> but it's the lesson. It's it's the simplicity of the lesson that God's trying to teach. Amen. Trust. Faith by nature is trust. We tend to think of faith as just believing, but no, but you can believe in anything and it's not faith. Faith is trusting God, trusting what he says, trusting his wisdom, trusting his teachings, trusting his ways, trusting that he knows better. Trusting. And those temptations come when we lack in discipline, in self-control, when we want what we want and we want it now. That's how ministries are messed up. That's how callings are messed up. That's how marriages are messed up. That's how your health is messed up. That's how everything is messed up. you got to learn to tell the devil no and be willing to wait on God. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, it says, Yes, I say then, walk in the spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. You're going to listen to a voice. You're going to either listen to what God says and trust it even when it doesn't make sense, or you're going to listen to the voice of the enemy saying, here, eat this. Here, do this. Here, take this. Here, you want this trailer today. Go get it right now, but it's going to be something that's going to break. Here, you want this ministry right now, but it's not the one that the Lord has for you. Here, you want this relationship right now. Whatever the situation, the enemy works on your flesh and your emotions. What do you want? What do you desire? And it's interesting. It says that if we walk in the spirit, which means that we spend that time praying and seeking and waiting on the Lord and hearing from him, the Bible says, my son, if you will attain unto my words, it will be health to you. So in the area of food, seeking the Lord on what to eat, when to eat, it will be health to you. One of the reasons we don't live healthy is because we do what we want to do when it comes to food. Gluttony is still a sin, believe it or not. Gluttony is excess. Anytime we take more than we need, it's a sin. We still count all the sins except for gluttony and gossip. Those, those we're okay with. That's right, Mike. He said, yes, amen. I agree with that. We'll see if you are agreeing in 10 years when you want them cookies. <laughs> when them teeth come in. Yep. Yep. But, it, but God will tell you what to do. When I got sick with the Lyme's disease, really that was the, the key. Like God could have healed me in an instant. But he trained my hearing by teaching me what to eat, what not to eat, by telling me fast this, fast that. And then as I obeyed, as I attained, attended unto his words, it became health to me. I was doing this juice thing during a, a week or so back, and I had this great idea to juice some watermelon, a cucumber, and do lemon limeade. Watermelon, cucumber, lemon limeade. Oh, that sounds good. So I did it. It really is good. Very summery, refreshing. So good. Never put it together that all four of these are diuretics. 
Okay, so after like going to the bathroom every 20 minutes for two days, like I'm, I'm dehydrated. I'm like, oh my gosh, it won't stop. What do I do? And so I'm laying down and I'm praying and I start to get tingly and lightheaded and I'm like, oh, the Lord's touching me. And then I get a chest pain and a tightness. I'm like, oh, that's not the Lord. Something's wrong. <laughs> and God speaks very clearly and he says, drink some chocolate milk. I, and normally I don't do sugar, especially if I want to fast. And so I'm like, are you sure, Lord? I don't usually do sugar. He said, drink a chocolate milk. So I went back, one of the little chocolate milks we had, and I drank it, and I felt better. Okay, well, put it aside. A little while later, I'm telling mom, I'm like, ooh, if y'all ever need a diuretic, do this or whatever. And she's like, watch it if you're going to the bathroom a lot because it'll drop your potassium low, and that affects your heart and your heart regulation. And then it hit me. I wonder how much potassium is in chocolate milk. So I go and I check the bottle, and it's like 850 milligrams, the most of any liquid I was on the liquid fast, the most of any liquid we had in the house. Attain unto my words, and it will be health to you. Walk in the spirit. Listen to what he's telling you. There is a reason. My flesh and my logic would have said, oh, no, I'm not doing chocolate milk. I never do sugar when I'm fasting. God said, do the chocolate. And he never told me not to do sugar on this fast. In fact, Josh had asked me before when I started the liquids. He said, you're doing no sugar? I said, well, he didn't tell me that, but I usually don't if I, if I don't do sugar. He said, because you could have ice cream the whole time. I'm like, no, that's not. I'm like, that's not. Ice cream the whole time. But he really will direct you into what's best for you if you seek him and walk according to his will. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 21, Paul said, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached unto others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, this is very broad. We think of, oh, he's probably talking about immorality or sexual things, and that does apply. But he made it broad for a reason. He said, I keep my body in subjection. I keep the lust of the flesh in subjection. I keep my desires in subjection. And that's what fasting does. It trains your body to listen to the news. It tells your spirit is strengthened when your body is crucified. The more you feed your spirit, the stronger it gets. The more you feed your body, the stronger it gets. So when you starve the body while feeding the spirit, guess what the power is? That fasting is powerful, and, and, and it clears the mind, and it's obedience, and it's sacrifice, and it's all these wonderful things. But we've got to learn to put the body in subjection. We've got to learn to tell ourselves no. And for parents, teach your children the no because that's where it starts. Because children who never learn how to take the no will be adults who never learn how to take the no from God. No discipline. It's, it's a lack of self-control. Amen. He said amen. <laughs> there you go. He hears no. <laughs> He's like, I understand this message. <laughs> no, he said no. <laughs> Use the power of the Holy Spirit to control the flesh or the devil or that unholy spirit. We'll use the flesh to control and ruin you. Esau, Esau is a great example of that. Esau had promise. He had inheritance. He had a birthright. He was actually supposed to be in the bloodline of the Messiah. He was supposed to be the hero in these stories. But because of a wrong attitude towards food, 
he lost everything because for a moment of pleasing the flesh because he he grabbed that thing that he wanted rather than being in obedience and waiting on the Lord God took the inheritance from him and wouldn't get it back because it says that he esteemed it a light thing he didn't take it seriously so again I'm talking about food because it's something we can understand and it is where it begins because if we don't control that we won't control anything but it applies to every area of your life. The sin of gluttony is just the sin of excess. It's a lack of self-control in any area. Whether that's playing too many video games and not seeking the Lord or praying or eating too much food or not fasting. And, and I know that the Lord gave me this message because I got into a point where the Lord was showing me that I was off track and... And it wasn't anything that we would say is, oh, you're sinning. But I knew I had got out of alignment with the timing and, and the obedience to what he was calling me to do. And I was still doing those good things, those things that seem right. But I, that he started to correct me. You're not where you're not doing what I'm saying to do. It's like, oh, well, how did I get off track? What happened? And he took me back to this. He said the first temptation, you weren't fasting. It seemed like I had, I had gotten into this little season where it was like, oh, I, I really just don't want to fast right now. I've done it for a while, and I'm, I'm getting a little break, and, and, but that's where it started. That's where things started to get off track. That's where I stopped seeking. That's where I started getting tired. That's where I started losing my energy. That's where I got unhealthy. That's where I didn't have time to fight and war and get up and get that word from the Lord, and everything got off track from there. It all started to here, eat this. So it seems like a little thing, but take it serious. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, he says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. See, a lot of times God tells us to do things, and we just have to do it by faith and obedience. And it's not till later that we really see how we would have inherited a blessing if we, because of it. It says that afterwards, whenever Esau saw that he would have inherited the blessing, that's when he cried and prayed and repented, but it was too late. He couldn't get it back. He didn't, get, he didn't repent when he knew he, he disobeyed God. He repented after he saw that he missed the inheritance. And there's things that God has for us that he will tell you something and you don't fully understand it. Walk in obedience and sacrifice and discipline no matter what. Because that's what faith does. Because after a while, it says that after you have done the will of God, you will inherit the promise. So when that promise starts to come about, you're going to either be in the place of obedience and submission and discipline and receive it, and you're going to be thankful that you trusted God in faith, or you're going to be out of position because you trusted in your own flesh and logic and lack of discipline, and then you're going to see how you missed it. And that's where Esau was. That's why he, he cried, it says, with tears, but it was too late. He couldn't get it. That's not a place we ever want to be in. So trust him, even in the little things. Even if he says, don't eat this, like he did to Adam and Eve. 
Some of the strongest language in the Bible is written against Esau. People often say it's just this or it's just that. But that's exactly why God hated Esau. Because he was willing to trade the great value of what God had for him for something as worthless as just a bowl of soup. It's just a date, just a beer, it's just candy at Halloween, it's just a video game, it's just some TV, it's just some entertainment. It's just, it's just, it's just, it's just an idol. And the fact that you have valued such a small thing above him, his presence, the leading of his spirit, obedience, and the pursuit of the plans and inheritance that he has for you is exactly why he hates it so much. And I think it's very important that when the Lord starts pointing something out to us and we're like, well, that doesn't make sense. It's not a big deal. It's just that makes it all the worse. If he doesn't like it and it's such a small thing, but you're going to hold on to it above him, I think it hurts all the more. Kind of like, you know, your, your spouse or there's, there's something in the marriage that's causing a problem and you're like, well, it's not a big deal. Well, if it's not a big deal, why are you valuing it more than your relationship? Get rid of it. It hurts all the more. And Numbers 11, verse 1, he said to the Israelites, And when the people complained to the Lord and to Moses, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled. And the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost part of the camp. And the people cried unto Moses. And when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of, the, of that place Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again, and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color thereof was as the color of vellum. And the people went about and gathered it, and ground it into meals, and beat it into mortar, and baked it in a pan, and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as of the taste of fresh oil. Alright? So God gives them manna. And if you look at the description, it doesn't sound too pleasant. They grind it, they beat it, they make cakes, and it tastes like raw oil. But God provided. It was what they needed. It was perfect. It was provision. But they complained. They wanted the food of Egypt. So God sent quails to them and told them they could eat until they got sick died from it. They wanted the quails of Egypt. They wanted what Egypt had to offer, so he gave it to them. When we complain about what God has given us, he'll let us have what we want, but it's not what's best for us. 
it's not what's good for us. It actually says they, they ate until it came out of their nose and it killed them. So sometimes we grab for the lust of the flesh and the things of Egypt, and he lets you have it. I had mentioned when I did the teaching on the mark of the beast that that would be, that food would be the main reason that people would take the mark. And I said, watch if the devil doesn't tempt you when we had the mask mandate and the mask. And I was like, watch, he's going to tempt you. He's going to tempt you. And we were all testing ourselves to see if we can if we can do this, if we can stay away from the things that required it just as an exercise of, you know, avoiding the mark of the beast and all that. Sure was hard to get your groceries on. It was hard to get the pleasant foods. It wasn't impossible. Took a little sacrifice. How many times did we say, oh, well, that's not that important. I, I know I won't do it when it comes. Just a little test, but I'm telling you that you can't buy, sell, or trade if you take the mark. And the same reason the Israelites turned back to Egypt and wanted to go back to Egypt for that pleasant food is the same reason most people are going to turn back to the world system and go take the mark of the beast. Because they want that pleasant food. God will provide what we need. Might be manna from heaven that tastes like raw oil. <laughs> it wasn't pleasing to the flesh, but it was what they needed. It was healthy. It was provision. And really the manna, though it was food, represents the word of God. It represents that spiritual food. It's like fresh oil. It's what we need. It's what's healthy. It's what's good for us. It's just enough. But it's not always pleasant. The Lord will provide. He provided for the Israelites, and that's the point of it. The Lord will provide. It'll be what you need, but it might not be all you want. When, whenever God told us to move, we had our gardens and our chickens and rabbits and raised beds and everything set up here, and God said, abandon everything and move. And we, we go to this place, and there's, there's nothing. There's a couple of fruit trees that ain't producing and, and fields and... But as soon as we get there, there is a bumper crop of wild blackberries, more than we've been able to harvest forever. There's wild thistles everywhere. There's wild, there's rabbits. The dogs are bringing rabbits to the door and laying them down. We're catching them. By, there, there was food in abundance, more than we had when we were laboring to till the ground and to raise livestock. It was all just there. The Lord will provide when you trust and obey. But you got to do what he says, trust his words, even when it doesn't make sense. In the logic, knowing, okay, hard times are coming, Lord, we're prepared. We've got everything set up by the works of our hands. Why would you tell us to just walk away from it now that we need it? But he put us where he wanted us, and he provided when he did. Might be a dead rabbit with dog spit on it, but it's <laughs> <laughs> it, it. right. <laughs> But he will provide, but you've got to trust him. He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. But the righteous means to be in right standing. That not just, okay, well, I love the Lord and expect him to take care of us while we're not obeying him. He says the righteous, you've got to obey what he said. Be in right standing with him. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 5, it says, And the people spake again to God and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water. And our soul loathes it. loathes. Listen to the word that they, they use. It loathes. That means to hate with burning disdain. This light bread, which was the manna. 
So we're, we're in this wilderness. There's nothing to eat at all while what God had provided is right before them. And they're like, we loathe it. We hate what you have given us. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. So they weren't satisfied. God had provided. God had given them everything they needed. He had blessed them miraculously, and they didn't appreciate it. They wanted something better, something more pleasant, more pleasing to the flesh. And so the enemy came in and destroyed many of them for it. I think a person that won't fast when God asks, in a way, is guilty of this. They rather the food than the manna. Because when I fast, boy, that manna really flows. That word, that revelation, it just comes. Like, when I get to the end of the fast, like, I did a fast recently, and I didn't even know why. But on the last day of it, man, it was like supernatural download of revelation. It just poured out. And I'm like, this is what he wanted me to see. And it kind of convicted me of the season before when I was like not really wanting to fast because that really meant that I wanted the food more than the manna. Yeah, he has a way of making you be like, oh, sorry, didn't mean, didn't see it that way. But we always see it a lot more light than sin really is. He has a way of showing us what it really means. So never say it's just because that hurts all the more. I think every wife can understand this, and every husband will never get this. But whenever you're trying to explain something to your husband that is really important to you or bothers you or really matters, and they're like, they just don't get it. It's not a big deal to them. And they're like, well, you're just crazy. <gasps> Explosion in my brain. <laughs> what you just said means you do not care about how I feel. <laughs> Sounds like you've been through this. Every, every wife. Every wife has been through that. But God actually feels that way too. When God's trying to show us, hey, this is a big deal to me. And we're like, I really don't think that's a big deal. And that really hurts him because he's like, you don't care how this is affecting my heart. All right, so we're going to look a little bit at gluttony. But again, remember, gluttony isn't just food, but it's something we can relate to. It's any excess. In fact, Jesus told the Pharisees that on the outside, you look great. You look all clean and you look like the part, but on the inside you're full of extortion and excess. You're taking more than you need. He said, woe to the shepherds that take more than they need. We have to understand as people that something died for your necessity, not for your pleasure. So this is a, a going to step on some toes in America. This is not going to be preached probably in hardly any pulpits in this country. Today it would be more accepted, I think, in third world countries where they understand because they still live on farms and, and know what it's like to have to raise your food and watch it and get attached to it and kill it and, and eat it. But I, I can remember the first time because growing up we, we raised animals and you know we, we knew what it was to basically be eating a pet. So we didn't waste and we didn't do more than what we needed, but I can remember the first time when I moved out on my own and I was around friends and I'd fix food and they just like take two or three bites and throw it away. And it's like that's that that animal kind of died for you. You know, why are you just wasting it? I don't I don't want that today. I ate that yesterday. In God's eyes, it's a sin. Something died for that purpose. And we are here to learn how to rule. So that we can rule in heavenly kingdoms. So he's going to judge how we treat it. Not only our fellow man, but every creature he created. 
because that's going to tell him how we're going to rule in eternity over whatever it is that he has for us. That was part of the reason that God instituted originally the sacrifices, because at that time they had to raise these animals up and get attached to them, and it was his way of showing them that sin hurts somebody. It causes something else to suffer. It's going to cost something. It's, for him, it was going to cost the lamb that was slain, Jesus, his only son. So he wanted us to see that there was a pain connected to that loss. But we don't really see that pain even in the area of food because most people don't see where that's coming from. They, they never have an attachment to a creature that's suffering for their gain. So these are things we have to understand, especially if you ever go into the mission field because people in other countries still understand this and you can um, insult them very quickly and lose your chance to minister to them. You know, if they offer you the only goat in the whole village that was giving them milk and helping them to live and then you come in and they kill this goat to honor you and, and feed you and you're like, mm, I don't like that, you know, but you're never going to win that soul. You know, just, just suck it up and be like, thank you so much and eat it. <laughs> be grateful. Be thankful. You might say that I'm being too hard. I'm reaching too far with this teaching. Well, let's see what the Bible has to say about it. In Proverbs 23, 2, it says, Put a knife to thy throat, if thou be a man who is given to appetite. If you're controlled by your appetite, that's pretty hard words. In Proverbs 23, 20, it says, Be not among wine-bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh, for the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. That's concerned of people who have access in alcohol and also in food or in meat. This is it's gluttony, it's excess, it's too much, having too much. And I know for me, because of the, the Lyme's disease, my, my body doesn't have the energy to digest food. I get tired very quickly if I eat, which is one of the reasons that God has me on fast a lot. So for me, this really comes home because it says it will drown, it will clothe you in drowsiness and rags. Like I can't do the work that the Lord has given me if I'm not obedient to fast when he tells me to because I don't have the energy to do it. When I'm fasting, I have energy. The Lord sustains. But when I'm not, it makes me drowsy. But in excess, these things will bring you to a bad place because you're teaching your body to answer to the lust of the flesh instead of taking opportunity to train it to say no. Proverbs 25, 27 says, It is not good to eat much honey, which now we can relate to sugar or sweet things. So for men to search their own glory is not good. He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Again, putting your body into subjection. He said that if you don't have control over your own spirit, if you can't tell your own body no, if you can't say, no, I'm not eating any sugar, or no, I'm not doing that today, or no, the Lord says that I need to get rid of this right now, or no, I'm not going to watch the news today, or no, I'm not going to play video games, I'm going to spend this time, I'm going to give the Lord the whole day, whatever it is. If you can't tell your spirit no for any reason or anything, or no, I'm not going to be around that person because the Lord says no. 
If you can't tell your spirit, no, it says that you're like a city without walls. In other words, the enemy's going to run in, rush in, and do whatever he wants. If you have no self-control, again, this comes back to just like Harriet, the message about self-control. The enemy's going to ravage. And I think it's interesting that it's tied in also with a passage <clears throat> about sugar, because sugar is very addicting and controlling. And you can understand the pull. In fact, you know, we pray for addicts and drug addicts and alcoholics and all of those things, but it's the same pull that you get from sugar or processed food or McDonald's or their crack burgers and stuff. Alcohol is made out of sugar. Like preserves many of the, the unnatural preservatives that we have today or you know, methyl alcohol, it's the aspartame, it's a type of alcohol. There's still addiction pulling to it. So if you are at a place where you're not in control, something else is, and it's time to deal with it. In any area. Self-control is a fruit or an evidence, a byproduct of the Holy Spirit. The lack or absence of self-control is a fruit or evidence or byproduct of another spirit. Recognize it and get rid of it. Philippians 3, 18 says, For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who minds earthly things. They care more about earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile bodies, that it may be fashioned like unto the his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. So it's not too hard. It's not impossible. Any addiction can be broken by the power of the blood and name of Jesus, even food, which may be one of the hardest addictions because it's so accepted and accessible. But treat it like any other addiction or spirit. Take authority over it and tell it no. There have been times I have had to... I tell of the example of we had did deliverance one time on a girl and she got her deliverance and everything. She had a lot of stuff, you know, big stuff, little stuff, everything in between. Well, for the next several days, man, I had this crazy craving for these little Debbie sweet cakes, which I usually don't eat sugar very hardly ever because I can't really handle it. And then, but by the time I emptied a whole box of Little Debbie sweet cakes and was contemplating going to the store to buy another one, I'm like, something's wrong here. This isn't me. <laughs> and then I realized, oh, the girl had a problem with gluttony. This is a spirit. Take authority in the name of Jesus. I command this spirit of gluttony to get out of my house and stop influencing me. You're not killing me with Little Debbie cakes <laughs> in Jesus' name. And then it went and I didn't have the craving anymore, but it was completely a spirit. Sometimes we sit there and we fight with the silliest things instead of recognizing, no, putting my foot down, I'm taking authority. Yeah. Have control of your own spirit. So gluttony can be dealt with by deliverance. That's good news for some people who really struggle with it. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 18 says, If a man have a stubborn or rebellious son, which will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, 
and that when they have chastened him, will not hearken unto them. Then shall his father and his mother lay hold on him and bring him to the elders of the city and outside of the gate of the place, and they shall say unto the elders of the city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard, which means he is addicted. There was issues for dealing with these things, and it's interesting that the Bible kind of lumps all of these things together. Drunkard, glutton, rebellious, won't obey, no control of the flesh, doing whatever you want in excess. In the Old Testament, in, in Deuteronomy, the advice to deal with this was uh, to take him out and to stone him, to keep that evil out of the family, out of the, the congregation of Israel, because they didn't want that spirit spreading and teaching the others that it was okay to receive of it. But now, because of Jesus, we don't have to do that. We can just cast the spirit out and save the person. So stone the spirit now, save the person. Before it was stone the person to save others from the spirit, because they didn't have the ability to deal with those demonic spirits. In Ezekiel 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of the sisters of Sodom. Pride, fullness of bread, overeating. This is one of, this is Sodom. This is, he destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, and this was their sin. One pride, two fullness of bread, and abundance of idleness. They didn't work or labor. They just sat and ate and uh, had too much pride. Was in her and in her daughters. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. See, that's the problem with excess. It takes away what we could have given to someone who really needed it. He said they didn't strengthen the poor, they didn't strengthen the needy, they didn't give to others because they were consuming it all upon themselves. All they could think of is what they wanted. They weren't looking at maybe what somebody else needed or what somebody else was lacking or what somebody else might even be sacrificing for you to take on more than what you need. The failures in scripture when it came to food, Adam and Eve, Esau, the Israelites in the wilderness, even Eli, remember the story of Eli and his sons because they were uh, taking of the sacrifices and taking the best cuts of meat and eating it up for themselves and, and doing it in the sight of the people so the people could tell that they were taking things that were not meant to be theirs. They were taking more than their portion out of the tithe and the offering, um, and all of the evil kings of Israel and the Pharisees were all guilty of this. Now, just so you know, again, making that point, when we talk about gluttony, you get this image of, of these big, giant, you know, fat kings and all that. Size does not dictate gluttony. Some of the biggest people I know were not gluttons, and some of the, the biggest glutton I ever met, I'm going to be honest, Ma, I don't know his name, so, but Mom will probably remember him. The biggest glutton I ever met was a tall, skinny as a real dude. He used to work with us at uh, Holloway. Nobody could keep their food. He'd be stealing everything out of the refrigerator. When we'd do group meals, boy, he'd be fixing five and six and seven plates and hauling off and wouldn't stop till everything was gone. Don't know where it went, but he was skinny as a rail. But he was the biggest glutton I ever met in my life. Everybody was so mad at him all the time. Like he was no shame in the game. He was taking everything. <laughs> so it, it doesn't mean just to be big. My, my great-grandmother lived through the Depression, and she was always a big lady, and she ate nothing. Like literally because they all they had was chickens, 
when she would cook a meal, she would give the meat to the children, and she would always eat the chicken feet. Like, she literally take the skin off the feet and eat what was left on the bone. That's all she ate was the chicken feet because she left everything else for the kids. And I look at pictures of her, and I'm like, how in the world? That was just her genetics. She was a bigger lady. She didn't eat nothing. So that's not an indication of gluttony. Because I hear people say sometimes, oh, but, you know, they're skinny. That's not, mm-mm, mm-mm. Is it more than you need? Right. Are you hurting somebody else for it? Or are you thinking only of yourself? Mm. All right, so fasting. All of the greats in Scripture fasted. The patriarchs, the prophets, Jesus, the disciples, everyone in the early church. It was not an option. Jesus didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. Do it like this. Fasting was always part of the early church because, again, it's part of that discipline and that faith and training your body and training your keeping everything in subjection and training your spirit to tell the enemy no. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, it says, Then came to him the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bridegroom of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. So from the time of Jesus' death until his return, the church is required to fast. David often said that fasting was humbling oneself or humbling your flesh. Gluttony comes with pride, but fasting comes with humility. And I, I preface that by saying a true fast. Because there are some fake fasts that the Pharisees were, you know, putting on a show and being, oh, look at me, I'm fasting. A true fast is humility. David said that I humble my soul. When nobody knows about it, but you're being obedient to the Lord and you're telling your flesh no, and you're not having what you want, you know, like when I'm on a no sugar fast and then all of a sudden we get dumped two refrigerator loads of perfectly amazing chocolates. <laughs> You've got to humble your flesh <laughs> and be like, no, in Jesus' name, this will end. This too shall pass, and there will still be some when it does, <laughs> and I shall be rewarded for my obedience. But I, I do find it interesting that in the passages that talked about gluttony, it usually came paired with pride. But in the passages that talked about fasting, it usually comes paired with humility. Jesus, okay, so the greatest commandment. When they asked Jesus what was the greatest commandment, he said, what? The Shema. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy strength. Love others uh, as thyself. Jesus said, love others more than yourself. So the order is love God first, love others second, and love self last. That should come in every area of our life. That should come at the dinner table. That should come in the prayer closet. That should come when we work. That should come in every area. Serve God first. Serve others second. Serve self last. Trust God to take care of you after you have taken care of others. And remember that the Antichrist is all about self. And we've seen this time and time again that when we've taken care of others, God has turned around and blessed us. The more we give, the more he gives us to give, the more he takes care of us in impossible ways. In fact, I had been on a fast for quite a while, and at the end of it, I had mentioned wanting a box of chocolates, and, and the Lord provided a box of chocolate, and then I ended up giving it away. And then it was during the next fast that we got that truckload of other chocolates. And I was like, the Lord has blessed me, but still I must wait. <laughs> so like the same chocolate that I gave away, he gave us back like tons more of it. So he will always bless more 
if you eat no beans. Like that marshmallow. <laughs> Give up that little marshmallow now and wait for the big one later because he will definitely bless it. We saw this in the story of Abraham and Lot. Whenever you know Abraham had raised up Lot, his nephew, and, and they had lots of uh, cattle and, and, and people working, and they were in this land, and it said it got to where the land couldn't contain them, and so you know Abraham's like, well, look, Lot, you take whatever direction you want to go, take your herds, take your people, and we'll just split. With you pick whichever way you go, we'll go the other way. And so Lot chose the best. He, he listens to the pulling of the flesh. He chose the pleasant. He chose what seemed like the most. He chose the piece of pizza with the most pepperoni. <laughs> and Abraham was like, okay, I'll just take what's left. But in doing that, it sent him towards Sodom and Gomorrah and his destruction, which is what sin does and selfishness. Abraham's humility and selflessness and sacrifice sent him in the other direction, which actually sent him into the promised land. And it was at this point that God told him, okay, well, look, as far as you can see, north, south, east, and west, I'm going to give it to you. After he had given away the best, then God gave him better. Actually, God gave him nothing and made it better. But that's how God works. He gave away everything that he had and made it better. It's very interesting because where he was was in between two places. To the east, I think it was, was Hai, which was towards Sodom and Gomorrah. To the west was Bethel. Bethel means the house of God, the dwelling place of God. Hai means heap of ruins. Lot chose to go towards the heap of ruins. Though it looked pleasant at the time, the end of it was death, just like sin. It may look pleasurable for a season, but the end of it is death and destruction. Abraham went towards what looked like humility and selflessness and nothing, but it ended up being the dwelling place and habitation of God. So, it's important to examine ourselves, wrong attitudes towards food. And you know, again, we might say food's not that important, but remember, we're all in this mess because of an apple. <laughs> we know it's not really an apple, but whatever it was, a fruit. It, it was food. Here, eat this. So, don't say it's just, it's just, it's just. And it's interesting, God always seems to give us something like this coming up on Halloween. So, because we all get that, it's just candy. Well, all the more reason to not thank God. Oh, I know. Let's not forget Thanksgiving. That's the one. <laughs> I'm just stuffed up. <laughs> just saying. Especially when you go to a family's house, to another family's house, to eat 15 meals in a day. And here's the thing. God did call certain feast days. It, it wasn't about punishing people or being... But it was about a lifestyle and a, and a, a commitment of selfishness and greed and not thinking of others and consuming on yourself instead of giving out to others and putting others there. That's why he said, like, even, like, in the church, he said, when you have food, make sure you bring enough for the poor. Don't just bring for yourself or your family. You don't want to leave anybody out. So in examining ourselves, because if we're weak in this area of food, we're going to be weak in it in other areas. So examine yourself and see where you're weak in it. Um, if you can't go a week without something, without being pulled by it, if you can't say, okay, well, I'm going to do without this for a week, and it pulls, it, do, it, does, it pulls at you, there's a spirit attached. Alcohol. If you can't go without alcohol for a week without feeling a pull, then there's a spirit attached. There's a spirit pulling. If you can't go a week without drugs or medication, there's a pulling there. If you can't go a week without sugar or caffeine, 
There's an addiction there. Any additive or fake sweeteners, all these things, anything that's got a pull or a control on you that you can't just cut out, there's a spirit there because something is pulling at you. Cell phones and computers, social media, games. There's people. If you can't do a week, there's a problem. There's a problem. Even, even people. Like, we know that we don't want to be a week without our children. There's a pull there. There's a soul tie there, and that's a normal, natural thing. But there are some people that shouldn't have that control on us, and we have to examine those relationships, too. Something outside of your will is driving your actions. Treat it as such, and you'll get freedom from it. Drugs, alcohol, sex, food, anything in those areas. If you don't have control of it, it has controls of you. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. If any man defileth the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. All right, so we just looked at a bunch of people that had the wrong attitudes towards food, so we're going to look at a few really quick that had the right attitudes about food. Sarah and Abraham, I think, are probably chief among them. Uh, Sarah and Abraham, we've all heard the story on the Wednesday night lesson. Whenever the three strangers came, of course, we know it was God, but he didn't know right off the bat. As soon as he saw them, he told Sarah to go and prepare bread for them. Well, we learned in the lesson that when he told her that, it was like 75 pounds of flour worth of bread. It was all the finest flour. And let me tell you something. That was a big sacrifice because they worked the field. They grew that. They harvested that by hand without tractors. They husked it. They, they threshed it. They got it clean. If you ever tried to do that, I tried to do that. It's not fun. I need me an ox before I try that again. <laughs> and then they ground it by hand. And to make it really fine. To make it fine enough to do, yes. I mean, that was a lot of work and labor. And they had other flour, like barley flour, which makes an okay biscuit, but not a bread. They had some other, you know, different kinds of flour, but he gave the best, the wheat flour. He gave the best of their labor, their hand. He would, he just gave it to them. He would look here, do it, and seventy-five pounds flour worth of bread. The other thing that was so big was he gave them the uh, the calf. Was it the calf or the goat? <coughs> but he said he gave them the butter. That was huge. Oh yeah. But that that's a huge sacrifice for them because you can't refrigerate this stuff. Right. You know, so it had to be made fresh, you know. So that's something that was an incredible honor to even give that. Right. So they were very generous. And right. well, that's one of the reasons God blessed them and chose to give more to them because he knew he could trust them with these blessings. Proverbs twenty two nine says, He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. Those who like to give. I can say that about Danny. He, he is a giver. He will he will give. Give, give, give. He doesn't hold back. He would be that Abraham that would be like, Miranda, cook them 75 pounds of flour and bread. Well, I go over here and this thing will talk to Yeah, I'm going to talk to him. You don't work. Kill the fatted calves. Make the homemade butter. Cook them 75 pounds. Like, ah. Praise the Lord. <laughs> She's a good wife. <laughs> Proverbs fourteen thirty one. He that oppresseth the poor reproacheth his maker, but he 
that honoreth him hath mercy on the poor. So praise the Lord. God is honored by those who have mercy on the poor, but if you don't, then it is oppression to your maker. Amen. Remember, he said that what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. Proverbs 31, 20, in the description of the virtuous woman, he said, she stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reacheth forth her hand to the needy. This was like, uh, you know, going to help the uh, hurricane victims. When he was in New Orleans, we were in Lake Charles. He's like, this is what is pleasing to the Lord, being there to help the needy, to give of what you have, and God will trust you to give you more of it. Luke 14, 12 says, Then said he also to him that bade him, When thou makest a dinner or a supper, this is Jesus speaking, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and a recompense be made of thee. But when thou makest a feast, call the poor, and the maimed, and the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. I love that. He says, if they pay you back for it, then that's all the reward you get. But if they can't pay you back for it, God's going to pay you back in the judgment, and that's a better reward. So he says, when you have a feast, call those who who can't pay back for it. We remember in the story of the manna, whenever he called, he gave them the manna, it was equivalent to about a half a cup twice a day. So it was like, this is what you need, this is what you get, no more, no less. And if you don't have, he said to collect enough for you and for each household, and if you have more, give to the other, because you're not going to get more than what you need. It was whatever they needed. Some had more, some had less, but it was what that family needed, and no more. Um, And we saw this also in the New Testament church, how they made sure that everybody had what they needed. So don't take more than you need. Galatians 5.24 says, well, before I say that, talking about the manna when he only gave them a half a cup twice a day. And I can tell you that it's, it's interesting because when I do a liquid fast, when you can eat what you want, you eat more than you need. When you can snack, that's what really gets you. Because when I do a liquid fast and I'm like, I don't want any more liquid and you only take what you need, like normally about a half a cup for lunch and a half a cup for supper is about what I take. Because I'm like, I don't want this stuff. I'm only taking what I got to have. I'm tired of eating. But it, it gets you what you need. So that's really all you need. Lust eating and eating more than you need and it's eating it for pleasure. Or you can even say vanity eating. Vanity uh, for a desire to draw attention to yourselves or for others. It's all sin. Um, of course, we understand that you know there is health things. You want to eat for health. You want to exercise for health. But you don't want to do these things for vanity, for attention. You want to do these things for energy, for health, and for obedience because your body is a temple, and our temple should be healthy and strong. Right. But it shouldn't be, look at me, I have the best temple. <laughs> right. So I, I would say even in the area of like those people that are like trying to eat six thousand calories a day just to put on muscle, that you know that's there's there's a little check in your spirit. Biblically, it's not a good thing, especially when you're doing it just to turn people's heads. Sorry, I'm here to tell you the truth. Vanity is still a sin. Right. Excess is still a sin. Desire for vain glory is still a sin. Pride is still a sin. Give that excess to someone who needs it. 
and store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. Galatians 5, 24, please. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lust. If we live in the Spirit, then let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another or envying one another. Share so that no one lacks. Think of others before yourself. And we are almost done. Exodus 15, 26 says, I'm giving y'all a lot of just quick scriptures because I want y'all to see that this is not me just being mean or weird or controlling. This really is a biblical teaching that nobody really speaks up too much because it's not what our flesh wants to hear. And said, if thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. We love to quote that, he is the Lord that healeth thee. We, we sing it, too. he is the Lord that healeth thee. Did you read the rest of the passage? Obedience he only first. heals you when you obey his words and his statutes and his commandments. Go back to the his word. <clears throat> right. Proverbs 4 and 20, My son, attain unto my words, incline thy ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. You preach it, Michael. You got it. He's like, I'm on a liquid fast, too. I'm, I can preach this. <laughs> Amen. When we when we doing good in that song, <laughs> wait till the cookies come, son. Yeah. Romans thirteen thirteen says, "Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness. This is a good one for now. Not in chambering or wantonness. I not posted in that on Facebook and I oh. put a hashtag rioting in there. Praise yeah. the Lord." Not in strife or in envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Galatians 5.22, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, which is self-control. Against such there is no law. It isn't evident that we have the Holy Spirit when we have self-control. It's an evidence that you're being led by the Holy Spirit, just like um, Carrie's example to her kids about the marshmallow and then God doing the exact same thing again. He had to be led of the Spirit. This is what I want. We've had opportunities to be part of ministries and big conferences and, and big things that we, our flesh was like, oh, yes, we want to do this. But God was like, no, no, no. Don't take the, uh, the small meal. Wait for the real deal. Don't take the little marshmallow. Wait, there's more coming. And the interesting thing is that it was after the lesson that they would get their big marshmallow if they waited. And it's the same thing with God. A lot of times he's like, no, 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 wait, wait. There's still a lesson to be learned. Still something I got to teach you before you get the more. <clears throat> so Jesus overcame these temptations. And he asked us to do the same. And Luke 4, 
Verse 1, it says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. He was fasting. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterwards hungered. And the devil said unto him, Now this is after the forty days. He's hungry. And his fast, I guess, is probably even over because it's 40 days, right? We all know that. There's grace. When God tells you to fast, he gives you the grace. He gets you through it. But boy, when it's over, you know it's over. <laughs> I think that's where Jesus was. But the devil comes to him and he says, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. And proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And this is interesting because this is the word that was given in the Old Testament about the Israelites, that God gave them the manna to prove to them that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. It was the manna that they despised, they rejected, they wanted something more pleasant that caused the serpents to come and bite them. So the devil was tempting Jesus. It's the same thing he tempted the Israelites in the wilderness. He's like, no, I won't eat it. I'm satisfied with what God gives me, even if it's just a word from heaven. Now, for Jesus, this was just like Adam. He was the second Adam. This was the first temptation. Here, eat this. Adam failed, so the devil didn't have to go any further. Jesus didn't. He didn't eat it. He, didn't he couldn't progress any further until he passed the first one. It says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, right? Jesus saw... Uh, oh, at Eve in the garden, the lust of the flesh. The first thing she saw, the fruit, that it was good for food, right? The lust of the eye. Uh, it was pleasant to the eye, it says, and the pride of life. It is desirable to make one wise. The devil did the same thing to Jesus. It's good for food. Here, eat this bread. Pleasing to the eye. Show me that you're somebody important. If you're really the son of God, you know, jump off this, whatever. Pride of life. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world if you worship. It was the same three sins, just a temptation in a different way. Adam and Eve, they didn't have to go any further than the food that was in us because, you know, that's what humans do. They like food. But Jesus showed us that you can resist with the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't let the enemy tempt you with these things. And like Mama said, God might be calling us to a fast, and I believe he probably is, but I think also, too, I think he's preparing us for hard times and uh a time of national fasting if things don't get turned around really quick and I don't see that happening. Enemies fast and then afraid and hungry. That's right. That's right. Alright, so first this will be our no we have one more passage after this. First John two fifteen. It is not of the Father, but it is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God will abide forever. Little children, it is the last time. And as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now, there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is already the last time. The season of plenty for this nation is coming to an end. And many will betray Christ for mammon and the foods of Egypt. Deal with this spirit now, break agreement, and cast it out, that you not be tempted like the children in the world wilderness Matthew 23 25 we're going to leave it at this and then we're going to say a prayer 
Because woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of your cup and your platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisees, clean first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. So we don't want to be found hypocrites. We don't want to be found full of excess. We want God to be able to trust us in his provision and his blessings to distribute it as he sees fits that he might give us more of it in this season of hardship that is coming. I'm getting a lot of things about economic problems. So, Lord, we just come to you right now. We thank you for these hard words, Lord. They are scripture, Lord, and it's something that we have to come face-to-face um, -face with, Lord. Your word is like a mirror. So, Lord, we just come against any spirit of selfishness, pride, any excess, any gluttony, Lord, anything that would lead us away from humility and obedience and a desire to show forth your love and your mercy and your compassion to the others, to the less fortunate, Lord, we ask that you show us those uh, who need help, Lord, that you give us the ability to do it, Lord, and the wisdom to step out in it, Lord. Even as we come up to Rosh Hashanah, Lord, we are supposed to be reminded to be charitable, Lord, to seek you in repentance, to look back on the past year, Lord, and to see what we did right and, and even the ways that we missed our opportunities of obedience, Lord, to forgive our enemies and to, to remember to help those less fortunate, Lord, those who need you. So, Lord, give us a heart like you. Forgive us where we failed. Help us to be more uh, mindful of the excesses, of the distractions, of the things, Lord, that we put before you and to never say, oh, it's just, Lord, if it's something that is displeasing to you, Lord, that is getting in between our relationship with you, Lord, then we've just got to humble ourselves and love you more. And get rid of it, Lord, because the times are dire. The season is dire. The reason you're giving us this word is dire. We receive it, Lord, and we just ask for wisdom and the grace to walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. This message was brought to you by HOWC Ministries. To learn more about our ministries, please visit us online at heartofworshipchurch.com.